Hello, everybody, and welcome to the First Mind Podcast. Episode one, season one. I'm super excited to be here. Um, today, we are very fortunate to have a guest speaker who is going to talk to us about attachments and attachment styles, um, culminating in a conversation about how to get to a secure attachment. We have Dr. Cynthia Lewis-Wallace. She is our first guest on the podcast. Um, Dr. Cynthia Lewis-Wallace is an Army veteran, a clinical psychologist licensed in the state of North Carolina and Virginia. She provides individual, couples, and group psychotherapy, psychological assessment, consultation, mentorship, trainee supervision, and serves on several diversity, equity, and inclusion-focused work groups within the hospital's mental health service line. She obtained, Dr. Cynthia Lewis obtained her bachelor's degree in law, society, and justice from the University of Washington, Seattle in 2005. She then went on to get her master's degree in public administration from Clemson University in 2008, and her PhD in clinical psychology from the California School of Professional Psychology in San Diego in 2015. Dr. Lewis Wallace is married and has three children, age 12, 4, and 2. She enjoys running, hiking, sushi, and traveling with her family. Welcome, Dr. Cynthia Lewis Wallace. We are so happy to have you today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are excited. So we are going to get right into our conversation. Um, so you're here to talk about attachment styles, and hopefully... Mm -hmm. The listeners have had an opportunity to take their attachment style quiz. We attached a free quiz prior to um, announcing this podcast. So if you haven't had an opportunity to do that, please go to Come Hither Energy, and there is a link in the bio. There's also a link in the highlights for you to take your attachment quiz. You could actually do that right now while we're introducing ourselves and getting warmed up. So Dr. Cynthia, is it okay if I call you Dr. Cynthia? Does that sound? Yeah, okay. that sounds great. Okay, so Dr. Cynthia, um, I think we arrived at this conversation about attachment styles through a couple of lives that we did where we talked about how our hot girl summer were epic fails because of our attachment styles. And so I have um, been well aware that my attachment style is an anxious, um, codependent attachment style. I've been doing a lot of uh, therapy and work um, to kind of get through that. So I was realizing this summer as I was attempting to make connections with people and not just men even um, nice. that in those attempts to connect I was seeing and exhibiting and able to kind of observe myself outside of myself probably because of just a new introspection like just having this anxiety this um, feeling of like not I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be accepted. I'm never, you know, going to, nobody's going to love me, you know? So that anxiety mm -hmm. that starts to creep in and then really in my experience gets in the way of genuinely making a connection with a person. I feel like I don't show up as my best self and then that triggers, I'm sure the other person. Um, and so it just almost is giving the opposite effect of what I would really want which is to be more securely attached. So um, would you like to give kind of your insight into attachment styles, maybe the different ones and kind of, yeah. you know, what they mean? 
Absolutely. First of all, the fact that you had that introspection and was able to kind of evaluate like, man, like what's kind of coming up and what have I noticed? And I think a lot of times we don't necessarily take the time to have that introspection, right? That that self-awareness. Um, so the fact that you're like, yep, I'm noticing it, you know, I'm, I'm engaged in therapy. We'll talk a little bit about that later, but like those vehicles to be able to increase our awareness and how we show up in relationships. Cause like you said, it doesn't necessarily have to be a romantic relationship. We as humans right. are wired for connection period. Right. And yes. so when we think about attachment, it's talking about my experience in relationships period. So that can be romantic. It can be coworker, can be one of your girlfriends. It can be with your children. Mm-hmm. Right. So anytime mm-hmm. you're dealing with another human being, relationship comes into play, right? And so how we interface has a lot to do with kind of our attachment style. And so Mm -hmm. attachment theory, which is what kind of the attachment styles kind of come from, goes back to like the 60s. So Dr. Bowlby was the primitive developer of attachment therapy uh, theory. And then um, Later on, it expanded to Dr. Ainsworth, and she actually did an actual like study um, called the strain situation. And so what they actually found in both of their work is that the bond as an infant um, and a toddler to their primary caregivers pretty much sets the foundation of how they navigate relationships throughout their whole life. Um, And so it becomes really, really important and kind of thinking about caregivers, because sometimes in households, it may not necessarily be the kind of mother, father household. Right. As I think we're recognizing that it doesn't that's probably not going to be the norm um, that may have been back in the 50s and 60s. Evolving and dynamics of families have changed. But being able to identify kind of early on how an infant and a toddler bonds with their caregiver is really, really important. And so mm-hmm. pretty much as an infant and toddler, like they can't speak, they can't feed, they can't change themselves. And so they are really dependent upon somebody to identify and meet their needs. And so that's kind of mm-hmm. where that attachment kind of comes into play. That's such a good explanation. Thank you for, I don't think we realize just the connection between um, those early phases of development and our adult lives. Like I know I did not really understand the connection. Um, So thank you for helping to clarify and explain that attachment starts very early on. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. It does. No, no, it does. You know, and so ultimately the biggest piece is that we become attached to the, to the caregivers that we have a close relationship that we bond with who, who meet our needs. Right. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what develops into a secure attachment. It's like, I have needs, it gets met, then therefore I feel safe, I feel comfort, and I continue relying on this person to have my needs met, right? And so that's mm-hmm. ultimately then evolves into a secure attachment. Okay. Makes so a lot the, of sense. You know, but the flip side of that, right, <laughs> is you have secure. So there's four styles of uh, attachment. So you have secure, mm-hmm. and then there's insecure attachments, and there's three of those particular styles. And Okay. Um, so I just want to kind of just briefly kind of go through each of these um, attachment styles. Um, but actually, probably before I get to that one, I want to go back to what does a, a secure attachment look like in a relationship? Because I think that can be really, really helpful. It's like, we yes. say that this is where we're trying to get. So what does that actually look like? You know? And honestly, as you answer that, 
I remember there was a moment in therapy, and I know you'll talk about um, our attachment styles and how they can be fluid, but I remember being in therapy, and I was like, I told the therapist, like, I don't know any humans that have, like, I don't know these people. Like, who are the people who have secure attachments? Like, I was like, I don't think it exists. Like, I don't know. And she said, you had a secure attachment with your dad. Mm. And I think that really was the first time that I understood that the attachments can, yes. they can be fluid, that you can attach differently to different people. So that yes. is helpful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, don't, I don't think we actually go around saying, this one has a secure attachment. This person, <laughs> you know, like, we're not necessarily naming it, but I think hopefully what we will after your podcast is that we will have a better understanding of what that actually looks like. And yes. realizing this ain't it, <laughs> right? Because so I almost feel like we should be going around and naming it. Like, instead of yeah. being like, I'm a Libra, I should be like, well, I probably shouldn't give all that information right, right away. But, like, I, I, I almost, like, feel like it would be more helpful than astrological signs to know a person's attachment. But And I have several clients who um, have had very difficult and challenging relationships. And so starting off as they kind of go into the world, they've actually had prospective partners take the attachment style quiz, you know, um, mm. and that was one of their initial conversations. Um, yes, so I like it. Have them take the quiz. <laughs> I, like get four, I should probably, I'm going to get four or five quizzes at the beginning. That makes a lot of sense. Yes, I like it. Okay. You know, so, um, yeah. And so ultimately, the purpose of a secure attachment is we want to be able to have the ability to build healthy, long-lasting um, relationships where I'm able to depend on you when I need to, but then I'm also able to maintain my independence when I need to as well. Yes. Right, so I have that balance. And so signs of a secure attachment style, somebody who they can regulate their emotions, right? So they're not mm -hmm. completely unregulated, off, I guess unhinged is one word way of describing it. Um, they're able to trust other people. Um, so mm -hmm. I think that's definitely important. Um, they have effective communication, right? They are able to express um, when they're not happy or where they're expressed their emotions and being able to communicate that uh, to the mm -hmm. other person. Um, ability to seek emotional support, right? Rather than figure out, I got to do this on myself. You know, I'm going to go to my therapist. I'm going to go to my girlfriends or my, my guy friends. Um, I'm going to journal. I'm going to do something to kind of get that emotional support. Um, mm -hmm. Comfortable being alone is another one, right? That they can, they can be perfectly fine being independent solo but then they also can enjoy being um, and having the companionship and being around other people. Um, self-reflection, right? So self-reflection in a partnership, I think, is super important. Not only am I aware of what's happening between us, but I'm also aware of what my role in this is as well, right? So if I need mm -hmm. to, to take a look at myself and hold myself accountable, you know, then having that self-reflection becomes really, really important in order to be able to do that. Um, and um, managing conflict. You know, I think conflict is difficult for anybody, um, but being able to realize in any relationship, conflict may occur. So how do we be able to do that in a way that is not hurtful, um, not only, you know, to each other? So um, that's another piece that kind of um, is a sign of secure attachment style, uh, self-esteem, 
right? Um, you've talked a lot about the difference between self-worth and self-esteem. Um, and so being able to have that ability, um, that esteem for yourself and that respect for yourself is important and being emotionally available, you know, so. Like, I um, don't know who this person is that you're describing, but I'm, I'm in love. I'm in love with them. Like, I love them. Who, whoever they, whoever has that, all of those things, like, they sound so amazing. I want to, like, it's, that's beautiful. <laughs> I don't know any people like, like that, really. <laughs> is that it's a style right so it's not necessarily encompassed in any particular person right and it varies from relationship to relationship and i think even sometimes it kind of varies in situations from situation you okay know? so i guess that would be my question as we talk about kind of those characteristics of somebody with a secure attachment is any individual able to do all those things at all times like is that a norm that like if you know how if you have a more secure attachment you're able to show up in that way the way that you just described all those different mm -hmm. things all the time or does it fluctuate or how does that work yeah i, I wouldn't say that it's going to happen all of these characteristics all the time in every situation right mm -hmm. i don't think it's absolute um, and so I think what it is, is like these, the styles, what we aspire, these are virtues that we try to ascribe for ourselves, you know, but mm -hmm. I don't necessarily know every single situation that you come across where I'm going to be able to regulate my, my emotions. Cause if we're experiencing a very high stressful situation, right. um, common situations that I see that in relationships, a, a death of a child, for example, or a death mm -hmm. of a parent, um, like regulating your emotions in those situations are difficult, no matter who you are. Right. Yes, and so yes. I, I, I think being able to regulate your emotions, I think is aspirational. And if you already have the skill and generally you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to do okay. But I think to say right. that, yep, you have a secure attachment, this high stressful situation just happened to you. You got a secure attachment. You should be able to regulate it. I don't think that's I, I that would I wouldn't want to put that expectation on anybody. And I love that we explain that because I feel like sometimes, maybe especially for my attachment style, there is this absolute feeling, right? Like if I can't get it right all the time, every time, then mm -hmm. I must not be secure, you know. Like, and I think we give ourselves grace. Like, you know, you want to show up that way as best you can in most situations, but when you are not able to, you give yourself grace. So I think that was Absolutely. a good, yeah. Absolutely. I think that was Absolutely. a good, yeah. So I'm sorry, go ahead. You were talking about secure attachment. We named those characteristics. And then mm -hmm. I think we were gonna get into um, the other attachment styles. Yeah, so when we think about uh, secure attachment and then there's insecure attachment. And there's three um, insecure attachments. And so I just want to kind of go briefly through some of them. So you mentioned avoidant, right? So um, avoidant attachment styles um, have kind of just in general terms, um, difficulty with long-term relationships. Um, and they have early on in their life had kind of been taught to kind of fend for themselves. Independence was highly valued. Um, some folks will describe being reprimanded if they had to depend on somebody else. So therefore they were taught early on, I'm going to be self-sufficient. I'm going to do all the things that I need to do. I don't necessarily need to re 
to rely on anybody else. Um, so they may have also had times where they tried to express their emotions, but it may have been met with rejection. So therefore, they've kind of learned that maybe that's not the route to go in regards to expressing my emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, or they have found that the caregiver was very slow to respond to meet their needs. Um, and so slow to respond to meet their needs could look a wide variety of things. It could be mm-hmm. on one end, neglect, right? To on the other end, you know, you have a caregiver who is extremely busy, probably working multiple jobs, you know, cr- cr- crazy different shifts and just are not able to be present, right? So they're super busy. So they're not able to be present to therefore to meet their basic needs. Um, and so it could be on that continuum, but either way, um, they then tend to self-rely, you know, on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, or mm-hmm. some people have found that the caregiver valued academics, grades, tasks, like to performance-based things. And that's how they demonstrated support and love. Um, and so um, the emphasis when we think about an avoidant attachment style is put towards um, independence and reliance on self. And so that's kind of where um, they believe they, meaning attachment theorists, um, mm-hmm. that that style comes from. And so when we think about what does that look like in a relationship, we think about somebody who may avoid emotional or physical intimacy. Um, they may have the strong sense of independence. So therefore, I don't need to depend on you for anything um, at any t- point. Um, they have difficulty kind of being able to express their feelings. Um, because again, it may have been in, in the past, something that wasn't valued or even was in, at some point maybe possibly rejected. Um, mm-hmm. Hard time trusting other people. Um, they spend more time alone. Um, rather than interacting with other people. Um, and so again, these are very generalized kind of characteristics. And so some people who may say like, hey, you know what, like I took the quiz and they told me that I have this avoidant attachment style, but like some of the stuff is not resonating with me mm-hmm, or my experience mm-hmm. may be different, right? And so I think it's also great to just recognize them that these are very broad strokes, generalizations, you know, and that all of these things don't necessarily have to have happened to you Right. But I think it kind of gives an overview for the folks that have done this and through the research in general, this is typically what what we can see. But there may be pieces of it that may not be a person's experience. I have a couple of thoughts. Um, Well, and one a question. Generally, by what age is your attachment style kind of established, if you will? Like. What age around would you say? well, according to, to, to the, the attachment theorists, it's as an infancy toddler, it's already kind of developed. But then okay. what we also know is that as you go throughout life, it actually, like we, we'll talk about it being kind of fluid. So it can change and evolve, but they okay. can identify a, ser- a secure attachment in, a ch- in an infant as early as it. Wow. As wow. Okay. Old, not younger. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my thought about that is as you were given examples and saying, you know, you may not have experienced all of these things, but maybe some of these things, I just kind of wanted to tease out maybe an example of what you would mean. So when we say, you know, you maybe were reprimanded for expressing emotion, what comes up for me, and I don't know 
maybe you can give an example as well, is the whole, you know, when you are a child and you fall and you hurt yourself and you're told to shake it off mm-hmm. or, you know, to man up or yes. don't cry or so, yeah. So that's, you know, I think over time, I would imagine you would just start to say to yourself, like, I'm not even going to express that feeling. You know, I worked with adolescents for quite a while and boys, when they got to middle school, which was the age that I typically worked with, they would say to me, you know, I used to cry about my parents' divorce. This is an example. But then I learned that, you know, people don't really accept me crying anymore. Like I'm at an age now where like crying, it looks you know, it doesn't look favorable. So now I act out, I get kicked out of class. Like boys would be able to verbalize that to me. Like, so I I wanted to give a, give a kind of just an example to what you were saying, because I think it's these little things that we don't always think about, like, you know, telling somebody to toughen up that really has a major impact on how you express yourself later on in life. Oh, absolutely. And that's the examples that were coming up, you know, and I, I mean, probably 60 to 70% of the clients that I see are males. And wow. that has been, I mean, very, very common, you know, and not only is that messaging as a kid and it goes, evolves throughout the life. Right. And so then mm-hmm. now here we are in a relationship and we're bumping into some problems, being able to be uh, expressive of your emotions, being able mm-hmm. to kind of depend on this other partner, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I haven't looked at the research, but I'm pretty confident to say that I would, I can imagine there would probably be more men who would be an avoidant attachment style if we looked at gender, um, mm-hmm. you know? And again, exactly for some of the, the reasons that you kind of just shared, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I think that's interesting for people to just hear and learn that the attachment styles develop so early on and just some of these small little things that we do that we probably don't even really think about that Mm -hmm. just contribute to difficulties in having relationships later on. So I think that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then the the other uh, attachment styles is anxious attachment style. I think you mentioned it before, right? It's mine. It's my one. (laughs) (laughs) And what I will say as you get into that, Uh I know you're going to talk about this later too. I feel like as an anxious, with the predominantly anxious attachment style, I am very attracted to people who are avoidant, like Mm -hmm. whether it's relationships or friendships, like my, some of my best friends, friendships of my lifetime have been with people who probably have a more avoidant. They don't have my style. Like they have the opposite, you know, of what I'm going through. So Mm -hmm. I think that helps. It's almost like I'm seeking somebody who's different than me to help me regulate myself, if you will. Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think anxious attachment style, I mean, I think the word itself just kind of, kind of is, kind of explains a lot of it, right? And, mm-hmm. and so um, there's this uncertainty, right? We think about kind of relationships, um, whether it's uh, fear of rejection, abandonment, um, kind of depending on a partner for validation, um, codependency. Um, and so I think what ends up happening is earlier in life, again, this is just kind of like a broad strokes where there was potentially a caregiver who was very supportive and responsive to your needs. And then 
and other times not attuned to your needs. And mm-hmm. so that leaves this sense of confusion, like, okay, well, they were good. They were support. They were there for me. And then other times they're not. And so it goes from coddling over support to detached. And it's just kind of like, whoa, what's going on here? Right. So then um, that can create a lot of confusion in someone because then now there's this uncertainty, unpredictability that happens, which then elicits a lot of kind of angst, you know? Um, And so, also what we know is um, for this particular for anxious attachment styles that sometimes um, the individual um, was made to feel responsible for another person's feelings, you know, whether it was, hey, you did this and this is why I feel this way. You shouldn't have done X, Y, Z. I wouldn't be this way. Um, And so now this person is taking on responsibility of somebody else's emotions and feelings. So what that then translates to is this belief that I'm supposed to take care of other people's feelings, right? And then that tends to result in this codependency. Like my job is to make sure that you're good. You mm. know? So I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make sure that that happens. But mm-hmm. then I'm, in that process, then we neglect ourselves, yes. right? Um, and so... Um, that's also kind of important. And so we think about signs of what that actually looks like in a relationship. We're thinking um, individuals who may be clingy. I hate, I really don't like that word to be honest. Um, But I would just say very attached to, to the other person. No, Um, I think if you want me to, I I can give face to that too. (laughs) I think that there in my relationships, I had this saying that now I can um, evaluate so differently, but I would say like, oh, I just want to be in your skin. Like, I just want to be up under this person. All Like, I love you so much. I want to be in, like, I really think I thought love was enmeshment. Like, I need to be mm-hmm. with this human. Like, yeah. like, I really believed that, you know? So I think clingy is... Um, I mean, I don't know. It is what it is. I'm not offended by it. I've made peace with a lot of this, but I, I think there is, there is a, um, and, and I want to also, again, just point out that it's not just romantic relationships. It can also be, you know, just friendships that you are overly, you know, enmeshed with this other person or feeling like, you know, you can't be whole without this other person. So I think, you know, it, it can come out in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And I remember being at a park um, when my son was really young and this little boy was attached physically to like his father's leg. And um, Mm. another person, another parent was like, Oh my gosh, why is he so clingy? And he had to been like three or four. And I'm thinking like, and what is wrong with that? Oh (laughs) yeah. Yeah. You know, it was like the fact is that he felt, he feels safe with his father in this moment in a park with a bunch of kids that he doesn't even know, you know, with a bunch, you know, so like, to me, that's a very healthy reaction, you know? And so, um, because I think what we, I didn't, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I think what we negate to understand is that for little people, the experiences are little like, so as you described, you know, a person might lose their child or they might, you know, um, just suffer with, you know, something significant for them being at a park with a whole bunch of people that, 
that is significant because they're three. Like they don't have their world perspective is just not, you know, right. by by nature of their age, it's just not what ours is. So right. these little <laughs> things are the first time that they're doing some of these things. So they are big to them. So yeah. 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 Um other pieces of kind of characteristics um, of anxious attachment style, we find um, highly um, sensitive to criticism. And this could be real criticism or even perceived criticism. Right. But I, I think there is this kind of, we think about kind of like, I have to be, it's like a hundred percent, right. I gotta be on, I gotta be, I gotta be on top of my stuff. If I'm not, then. And, and, and because you strive for that, yes. you often are right. Mm -hmm. Like you, and you're, you kind of, I think for me, I rely on that validation of like, Ooh, she always is on point. So then when I'm not on point and somebody points that out, I'm like, Oh no, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> no ma'am we're not yeah. doing that <laughs> so but in mm -hmm. many ways though like this perfectionism this striving is actually if you think about it that's kind of built in right that's for mm -hmm. me to be having to deal with criticism well the solution is just be perfect right but we also know like that's also not actually you know that that's not realistic right because we're also human and so uh, but that sensitivity is there, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Needing approval from others. Um, sometimes it's difficult to, to be alone. Fear of abandonment, difficulty trusting others. I even also, I think sometimes I would even say not only difficulty trusting others, but sometimes even difficult to trust in yourself. And so I think that's another piece, um, right? So, yeah. So I, I, have, I have a, a friend who would say to me, um, she would say to me, you're like, you know, if I, in relation to romantic relationships, she would say, you're not afraid of um, not being able to trust the other person. You're afraid that if the other person does something, you can't trust yourself to recover. Mm -hmm. And that, that was, that's the truth of it really. Like, cause the trust is, I have to know that I'm going to be able to pull myself out of this, you know? And I think sometimes I don't always know if I'm yeah. going to be able to do that, you know? So sure. yeah, that's real. Sure. Um, and then the, the last attachment style is disorganized. And so this particular attachment style desires close relationships, but fears vulnerability, right? So then here we have a discrepancy here because a lot of times it's the vul vulnerability that is the vehicle to having close relationships. Mm. Um, and so if I fear this vulnerability, it's really going to be surface level, right? We're not going to get deep because I'm not willing to go there. So then I don't get my need met with having this close relationship that is, that is, that's important to me, right? And so um, there we are in this you know, trying to figure figure what that looks like. And so um, we end up putting- So what, what is the disorganized attachment? Cause I don't think I have a lot of knowledge about that, but what is their early attachment? Like, so the parent, mm -hmm. cause it almost sounds yeah. like it would be a hot and cold, but it, what is that? Yeah, so common, um, but again, I would not say a causal effect is typically we see different forms of trauma uh, that they may experience uh, abuse, and that could be physical, emotional, 
Um, they may have a fear of a parent or a caregiver, but then also a sense of safety from a caregiver or wow. a parent, you know? Yeah. And so um, the intensity, I think, would probably be kind of stronger. Um, and so therefore they have difficulty regulating their emotions, this fear of rejection, um, high levels of anxiety, difficulty trusting people. Um, they switch from potentially being very kind of close to somebody, but then detached and distant um, in other times. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was kind of preparing, they, they mentioned that um, folks with disorganized attachment styles tend to have um, higher associations of mood disorders. So anxiety, depression, um, and when I was looking at kind of like disorganized attachment styles as far as uh, partnerships. And it was interesting because they were saying that they chose partners, they tend to chose partners at a higher rate who were more controlling um, or I wouldn't say, well, yeah, abusive. Um, and so wow. the question wow. becomes, what is it about those partners and which it'll kind of lead us to the next question, but about what is about those particular qualities that these particular yeah uh, finds in these partners that kind of fit that yeah. right yeah so thank you so much for summarizing uh, you know some of that information is new even to me um, so I know that's going to be helpful to the audience for sure I did have a thought as you were describing mm -hmm. all of those um, nuances of attachment just in how important it really is that the person who is bringing forth the life in the world is cared for. Mm. Because I, like, mm. as you were describing anxious attachment and how this caretaker is hot and cold and on and off, I was thinking in my head, like, well, that's motherhood. Like, like as a, yeah. as a person who was a single mom, like, yeah, you were getting different versions of probably yeah. you know a person <laughs> like on any given day because you have sure. to be so many different roles so absolutely absolutely give yourself grace if, if that's you know what is happening and I think having my awareness now has helped even in fostering better healthier relationships with my daughters mm -hmm. but I definitely can see how you know if the person like I said who is the primary caretaker is not being taken care of, how then that creates a lot of anxiety and dysfunction, I would imagine, in, in them, which then is also impactful to the child. Oh, absolutely. And I think one research study said that 70% of adults have an insecure attachment. Wow. 30% have a secure attachment. So I think the 30% should move <laughs> to like one area so I can go and find them because 30% is so low to me. Like, I don't know what the end was, the sample size in which they, they, uh, I just know it was a longitudinal study that was taken over course of many, many years, but I, I, I need to check to see how many were actually in that actual survey. But, but that it, does make, it makes a lot of sense. It, mm -hmm. it does make a lot of sense because I think that even recently I um, posted something on my page that said, something along the lines of like, I think postpartum 
stems from being left at home with a traumatized baby with a traumatized body mm. and a baby by yourself. Like it is all this trauma that sometimes I think we kind of we're weird about what we consider to be a trauma. So mm. birth is this thing that we've been doing for centuries and I think there's just this you know normalization of oh yeah, you just had a baby, you'll be fine. Like yeah. but it really is. <laughs> like a, a it's a very you know it, it is a surgery. Like it is like, it, like you're actually going, you know, out, so it's, it is trauma on the body. And I think we're not always given um, space to talk about, you know, the trauma of that experience. I think, you know, as moms, you just have mm -hmm. to say, Oh, everything's amazing. How, this, this was amazing. Like, I, cause if you say anything opposite of that, then it becomes, you don't love your baby and you don't love motherhood. Like, so yeah, I think, um, yeah, so I don't realize that, right? And I think it's these conversations that say it's it's okay to feel like I don't have any attachment to my child right now. Like after yes. the traumatic thirty year hours of labor that I just had to go through, right, and getting cut up yes. and all these other things, yes. like you know, yes. or going off of zero sleep, right? And yes. I have a lot of clients who uh, experience postpartum depression, and they actually didn't seek treatment until their third or fourth kid. They're like, uh -huh. the same thing I'm going through now is what I had happened with my first and second, but I was too scared because I didn't want to be viewed as like a horrible mom because like I was struggling. And, and I asked like, well, what changed this time? But like, I, I can't do it. Like I can't, now I got two young kids and I have a newborn, like I need some support. And so that's why I'm here today, you know? And so for her to, um, take that courageous step to be like, you know what? Like, I understand I didn't do it for the first two, but I'm at a point where I know myself and I need some support and what I'm going through is difficult, man, you know? And- um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that we yeah. don't hear enough about that because it's not going to be mm -hmm. rainbows and sunshines all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. You know? So we could probably talk about, you know, motherhood all day because <laughs> we're both mothers. <laughs> Um, but, um, we're going to stick to our attachment style. So you were, you were about to get into a conversation about <clears throat> how we attach or what we're attracted to in terms of our attachment versus like, what, you know, do we, are we attracted to the opposite of ourselves to the same of ourselves? Like what, mm -hmm. what is, how does attraction work in terms of attachment? Yeah. If there's any so, bearing. Yeah. And so, it's interesting because I, I've had these conversations with with clients in the past, and and sometimes I even think about just the word usage, right? And so when I've had you know clients tell me like I don't know why I keep getting attracted to these types of people, and a question I posed was like, are you really attracted or are you choosing? Because mm -hmm. there's there's a difference between being I like that and choosing somebody. I like it. Yes. You know, because um, then now it, the onus is on me, right? And that I'm choosing this person for whatever reason. And sometimes our choices are not necessarily conscious. You know, sometimes I think it happens unconsciously. For a long time, I would always say, um, I don't have a type. I don't have a type. Like, and I remember that would be echoed, like, my brother would agree. Like she's date all, she dates all kinds of people. Like, so mm -hmm. she doesn't have a type. Having gone through therapy, what I now realize is I didn't have a type because I wasn't really doing any of the choosing. Like whoever showed up and was like, Oh, 
I like you and was validating and, you know, like, and I didn't even give them a whole lot of time to prove what they were saying. Like if you said, you know, the right things in the combination of seven days, I'm like all in, like, let's go. (laughs) So, so I think, you know, this is my husband. This is my husband. So yeah, I think that the awareness I had is, you probably do have a type. Mm-hmm. You just have not been exercising any power in this area of your life. Like, so right. let's, let's flip mm-hmm. it. Let's now, now we have some power. Like let's take our power back in this area. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And then it, it, it and then it allows us to be much more, I think, aware and discern the choices that we make. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we choose what's familiar. Right. And so I think that's a lot of times what we find is that a lot of the uh, partners or the relationships that we choose tend to be similar patterns that we kind of experienced earlier in life. Um, and mm-hmm. so and, and, and whether that's comfort and knowing what to expect or because it's familiar. Um, and so they tend to gravitate toward those types of attachment styles, although it's interesting because secure attachment style folks tend to uh choose secure attachment folks you know mm-hmm. so um yeah, and- i get it because if i'm secure i don't want to deal with all y'all y'all got too much going on like I'm not, de- I'm not dealing with i don't even like to deal with anxious attachments like that it, it's too much like so yeah i think that makes a lot of sense um i was gonna ask a question but it fails me now so go ahead i'm sorry yeah, so I think, again, it goes back to them uh, quizzes at the very beginning when you're meeting folks. Uh, but I think it's really important to be able to kind of think about ultimately what is it that I want? Because what we also find is that even though you may have an insecure attachment style, when you're connected or your partner is a secure attachment style, you can, we talk about fluidity, right? You can develop a secure attachment, you know? I, and so This is the part I'm excited to hear. <laughs> When we, yeah, when we pre-conference, you mentioned that. And I said, I definitely want to make sure we talk about how to get to a secure, a more secure attachment. Um, But even as you were reading the characteristics of an anxious attachment, I was attuned to, you know, the ones that I feel like I still struggle with. But there's Mm -hmm. definitely ones that have fallen off the list that I don't like being alone. Mm-hmm. I have mastered it. Like, I love it. Like, like so, um, so it's just interesting. I feel like that to me is a testament of growth because things are yes. changing so they can be healed. And I think that is so yes. promising as we talk about this, you don't have to stay stuck in any one pattern. You mm-hmm. have the ability to learn new skills, yep. to reprogram and recondition your mind and, and have a healthier attachment. Um, what I was thinking before Uh, we get into how to achieve a secure attachment is just this kind of idea of, I wanted to reframe what you said so people really understand, so that the audience really understands. Your childhood, you're saying, what that pattern was is often what you seek in your adult romantic relationships. I just wanted to make sure everybody, the audience really understood what you were saying. So, because I think there's, recent school of thought that is, you know, you don't need to t- 
tend to your childhood. You don't need to dive into your past. You don't need to. And I hear that when people mm-hmm. say it, even like there's coaches, there's, you know, people who say like, we don't need to spend a lot of time on your childhood. We're going to move forward. And I don't, mm-hmm. for me personally, my journey has not been that. Like I had to do a lot of exploration of my childhood. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how you move forward without yeah. reflection. Right. And I think that's the piece that we're right. We're not trying to go back in time and change things. Right. Because that's just not possible. Correct. You can't ignore your early childhood experiences because either whether good, bad, indifferent, it has influenced and shaped who you are presently. Right. And so Mm -hmm. being able to have that information becomes really, really important. You know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know any therapist who doesn't do a background history in developmental history as, as part of their initial intake because it's relevant, you know, and mm-hmm. how ex- early experiences were like for this individual has an impact present day, right? And so, yes, the presenting issue, um, you know, may not have been present years ago, but understanding a person's experiences is really important into better mm-hmm. understanding how they're showing up and where do we actually go from here now, you know? And so, yeah. And I do think that that is probably the more painful part of the therapeutic process and the, the part that we do want to avoid or tend to, you know, we just want to skip that, you know, Oops. but um, yeah, I do think that, you have to spend some time there. Like you have to spend some time figuring out how you became, you know, what you are. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know how you do it without that part. Even as I think about um, dating coaches and there's so many different kinds of coaches. Um, and I love it all. Like I love that people are seeking support for, cause I feel like you, you start where you are. So anything you do mm-hmm. is going to be helpful. But what I, what has been my experience is I could go to a dating coach and they could give me all this really good information, but without the self-worth, I won't be able to sustain it. Like I, mm-hmm. I won't, like I'll, you know, I can say, okay, I'm going to, you know, put these boundaries in place and I'm going to do, but without, for me, I feel without really the therapeutic process, I don't think mm-hmm. I would would have gotten to a place where I could stand on my boundaries, you know, like I really needed to go back and heal and understand some of the things that happened to me for me to make peace with them and get to a place where I was even aware that I was, like you said, some of this is not even, you're not even conscious of it. So I needed to go back and figure out things that I had suppressed and repressed and like bring those things back up so I could work through them so that they're not triggering me so much in the world today. So that was my process. I don't know, like, I don't want to speak to anybody else's process, but I don't, for me, it would be hard to move forward without some introspect on what happened in the past. Absolutely. You know, and that's kind of what I, you know, that's the biggest thing we think about can attachment styles be altered or can you heal and move forward? And number one question answer to that is absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. Right. So um, you can. And I think it goes back to that introspection that you just mentioned. Right. Having to take a look at myself and think about noticing what's how am I showing up in these different relationships? Mm-hmm. What are certain patterns am I exhibiting? Where are the problem lies? We and 
what is my role in that, you know, as well. Mm -hmm. And if there's certain things that I'm noticing about myself that's leading to these patterns, then what can I actually do to, to, to make some changes and, um, and kind of grow. And so, um, that's kind of where I'm going to put that plug for therapy, where it becomes really, really helpful, right? And I, and, I, and I tell people, if I had to summarize what therapy is, it is increasing your awareness about yourself and how you interact in the world, period. You know, and so there's so many different treatment modalities. You mentioned EMDR, um, and which is a um, evidence-based trauma-focused therapy, uh, cognitive processing therapy, prolonged exposure are also part of that as well. Um, and then we have um, specific treatments that are targeting how we think, right? So our patterns um, and thought processes sometimes can create patterns that are unhelpful for us. And so mm-hmm. there's treatments, literally, you think about it, we got it, right? It exists. Mm-hmm. And so being able to get that introspection, whether it is somebody telling you, whether it's required because your job is noticing something and thinks that you could benefit from it, or you decide, you know what, like, I'm just tired of living this way mm-hmm. and want to live differently. You know, all of those, whatever the reason you know, being able to be like, you know, let me kind of see what therapy has to offer, you know? And um, I think sometimes there's a lot of stigma that comes with seeking therapy and seeking mental health treatment. And hopefully we'll be able to kind of, kind of destigmatize what therapy looks like, right? We don't- Even even with this conversation, I hope that Mm -hmm. we are normalizing what that looks like for people. That's the whole goal of this podcast is just to- normalize what the therapeutic process is to really give access to people who may not have access to tips and tools and things that you can do um, just to have a more peaceful life. Like that's really what we're talking about is how do we get to a place where we can more peacefully have relationships and connections with other humans. So, yeah. yeah. You're you're number one, you're deserving of that, right? Yes. that peace and that connection, you know, not only are we wired of it, but we also are deserving of it, you know? And I also wanted just one thought I also had that as I was listening to you talk, when we think about the insecure attachment styles, I think something to kind of keep in mind is that many of our behaviors that we exhibited were once adaptive toward us, for us, Mm -hmm. right? You know, Mm -hmm. so it worked in our favor, whether it's just survival, (laughs) right? To get through the day to day, Um, you know, and so I think being able to realize is that these behaviors don't come out of nowhere, right? It's at some point it was helpful to us. And now as we go through life and we turn, we evolve and we start to realize that this is no longer working or serving us. And so therefore it's causing problems and therefore certain patterns that have resulted in similar consequences or outcomes. And therefore I want to live differently, right? My interactions and these, my relationships, I want to aspire for it to be different. And again, romantic with your children, with your coworkers, with your girlfriends, with your guy friends, whomever. Mm-hmm. You know? There's a oh. quote that I've been sitting with. I haven't posted it or done anything because I'm still just mentally processing and teasing it out. But the quote is something along the lines of sometimes the only way to survive your childhood was to become a narcissist. Like, mm-hmm. so even for a you know, attachment style or personality type that a lot of us find to be so, you know, just egregious, like 
even for that attachment, that whatever that is, that personality type, it at a time served that person. Like that's how they survived, you know? Correct. So yeah. Which goes think... back to that grace that you talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have to kind of go into it believing that, you know, sometimes maybe we're doing the best we can with what we got, right? <laughs> Period. You know, and yes. also thinking yes. about our caregivers. Like they're doing the best that they can with what they got, right? Um, and we as infants and kids, we have no really control or say so in our upbringing, right? And, but we do have a say so as an adult and what we, how we choose to live, right? And so yes. that's the piece that we can actually impact and we can do something I about. I love it. Yes, I love it. Thank you. It has taken me quite a while to make peace with my childhood, but what I also came to realize is not making peace with my childhood was also just really holding me back from being able to connect because to the degree that I can give grace, you know, to my caretaker, it also, I'm giving grace to myself because I didn't do it, um, you know, like per- perfect either. So yeah, I think there's lots of layers to this journey, mm-hmm. but get mm-hmm. us to a secure attachment, please. In the last, <laughs> you know, little bit of time that we have for the podcast, how do we, what are some tips or tools or strategies or things that we can do to get to a more secure attachment. Yeah. And so I think kind of what we kind of mentioned at the very beginning of what those signs look like, right? So we talked about uh, being able to regulate your emotions, um, being able to trust others, to be able to effectively communicate, right? Those are all skills that can be learned, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. dialectical behavioral therapy, uh, also known as DBT, that's exactly what they talk about. The basis of it is emotion regulation, distress tolerance. How do I handle distress? Interpersonal effectiveness, right? Those are all the basics of exactly what we're kind of talking at. So secure attachment, these responses of being able to regulate emotions, being able to effectively communicate with other people, uh, be able to express your emotions, be able, you know, all these things are skills that can just be developed, right? So I love that. Um, whether that's learning these skills in therapy, is it learning these skills with a life coach, whether it's going on YouTube, right, or going on Psychology Today um, and being able, there's plenty of articles that will kind of lay it out or researching, for example, type in dialectical behavioral therapy and it'll populate all the different articles, various different PowerPoints, presentations, videos, and it teaches you, breaks you down on like, how do I effectively communicate? What does that actually look like? Especially if I haven't seen it, if it wasn't taught to me, or I notice like how I communicate is unhealthy and it leads to more problems, I can learn how to develop that skill. So the mm-hmm. biggest piece is, is being able to see if I know what they say that secure attachment looks like this, then how do I develop these skills? In addition, paying attention to what we, because what we know is that who we surround ourselves with right, is extremely important. And so paying attention, who is in your circle? You know, if they're not adding to you and, and um, you're not growing and then it may be time to kind of think about, do I really want this person in my circle? And so being able to, because I mean, those are going to be the people that you practice these relationships with. If I if I want to secure attachment with, if I want to be able to communicate effectively, it's going to be people in my, my circle who's going to get most of you know, um, the that's play. such a good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. Mm-hmm. So if I those can't are the people you're gonna, yeah, then then I'm not gonna really get much growth um, in that aspect. Um, and the biggest piece is being willingness to change, right? So 
that's the biggest piece is how do we get to secure attachment? Well, the number one, the question is, do I want one? And if that's, if the answer is automatically, yeah, absolutely. Am I willing to change to move towards that? If I'm not, if I don't identify um, as having a secure attachment, right? Growth comes through discomfort. So it's good. It's not going to be easy. Because if it was easy, we would have figured this out a long time ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so and it becomes, I, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I love the way that you put that. I, you know, there's so much emphasis on educating ourselves in a scholarly way, you know, and I have, you know, gotten my degrees and all these things that we do. Um, but we do not, I feel, do that same research on ourselves. Like we don't, you know, take the time to really deep dive into the history of ourselves, into the, you know, like you're just not even encouraged to do that. Like Mm -hmm. we talk a lot about, you know, how you're working all the time, you know, people who um, are entrepreneurial or hustlers, if you will, like talk about, you don't want to work and spend all your time working to build somebody else's business or company. Mm -hmm. I feel the Mm -hmm. same way about my, my internal self. Like I don't want to just be on this planet learning about everything else and not learning about myself. Like that is so important to me is who am I? Like, how am I showing up? And like, I always want to be tweaking and discovering and learning and yeah. So I think that's a, to say to somebody, these are skills, like that's all it is. Like, it's just like math. Like if you didn't get the basics of math, then yeah, the higher, math problems will be more challenging right you go back and you get the skills like with any other subject i feel like we understand it so easily but when it comes to emotions and our mental health we just i don't know like we don't we don't look at it that way Mm -hmm. you know and think about it like I i tell some of my clients like you've been living your life for 30 40 50 i even have some clients that are in their 80s you know, for a certain way. And so now I'm trying to say is we're going to have to move a little bit differently, right? So it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be a process. It took a process to get us here. It's going to take us a process to be able to move forward. And so that's kind of like what you mentioned before. That's where grace comes in. But the fact is that you want something different for yourself is going to be the motivator that helps us get through this, right? And so, like you said, it is skill-based. We can learn skills, right? Mm -hmm. We can think about how are we interpreting certain situations and how do we kind of maybe potentially look at things differently? How do we manage our thoughts that are not necessarily helpful? They're very, this all or none black or white type of thinking and be able to find that, you know, we can have more of a balanced thought, you know, and again, when we, you know, work on these skills, we start to think about more about who we are and also who we want to choose in the relationships that we surround ourselves in. Right. And so therefore we're cultivating a circle who supports us, right? That balance of, I can depend on you when I need to, but then I also can be independent, right? So how do we kind of have that that balance? And I think ultimately mm-hmm. that's how we get to the secure attachment style. I love it. I love this whole conversation. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being willing to to come on and talk to us. I, I feel healed a little more just in having this dialogue, you know? Um, So I hope that that 
again, helps to normalize the therapeutic process because really it is just this. Like it is just mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, talking and just teasing out kind of having a support as you are processing your growth. That's really Mm -hmm. what it's like a teacher. It's like any other thing that you would study or go to school for it. But this is the study of yourself. And it's just so important to your ability, I think, to move towards a happier and like we said, more peaceful life. So I'm so glad that, yeah, we had this conversation. Um, any last thoughts that you want to add um, before we go to, you know, anything you want to? No, I, I think we've kind of pretty much like summarized and kind of reviewed everything I can think of. Um, you know, it's, I just the fact that listeners have found your podcast and you kind of creating this space, I just wanted to say, like, I'm thankful for um, because I think it's it's definitely needed. And um, hopefully this plant seeds um, and, and many people, whether that's to say like, you know what, maybe she may be onto something or just normalizing, you know, their experiences and also kind of realizing that like mental health matters, you know, it does. And, it does. Um, I think sometimes the conversations um, aren't happening as frequently as they should and you know, um, do a lot of DEI work. And so even just kind of thinking about kind of mental health in the black community and ethnic minority communities, like those conversations aren't um, being discussed as frequently as it should. And so you having this podcast really, um, I think kind of fills that need uh, that exists. So just thank you. Oh, thank you for being here. I'm so excited to continue this work and I hope that you will come back um, and talk to us some more. Um, the one last thing I, I do want to maybe as we um, wrap up, do you have any suggestions? This is something that comes up often when I talk to people about mental health for mm-hmm. how people can look for or find mm-hmm. a therapist to work with. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I think the, the biggest one I'm going to put a plug for is psychology today dot coms. If you kind of, if you Google it, it, you can actually search for a therapist in the area, put it in your zip code. If you, um, you can pick a therapist by, um, gender, their ethnicity, if you language, also their treatment modalities. If you want a therapist who does EMDR, you can do a search for that. Um, they also will list out certain insurances, a lot of uh, therapists who have a sliding scale. So finances could be a big barrier to seeking treatment. And so a lot of times they're not going to necessarily publicize it, but I think it's always worth asking where like, Hey, do you have a sliding scale where this is my, my income, this is how much I can afford. And so what they do is they base their rate based upon how much income you have. So um, that's another resource for veterans going to the VA. Also, givenhour.org um, is where there's therapists who provide um, free services for military as well as veterans um, free of charge. Um, and so a lot of different organizations, nonprofits in the area, if you just type in mental health, um, they will have a lot of different um, organizations that offer either maybe four to six sessions that are free um, or group offerings, support groups. Now, since COVID, there's a lot of virtual groups. 
Um, for example, there's groups that have formed for parents who've lost a child and it's free um, and they will have a listings of the days in which they meet and the locations. And again, that support. So there's ample, I think, resources, but sometimes navigating that is not necessarily super easy, you know. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> so I yeah, thank you. So no, maybe and I think what I'll do is I'll yeah, I'm I'm gonna drop some of those agencies in a mm -hmm. link so that people can um more easily access them. But yeah, I appreciate you so much for um just helping us all understand ourselves a little bit better, but also helping us understand access to therapy, normalizing what therapy is. Um, yeah, let's, mm -hmm. let's heal. Let's, we, we, you said something earlier that I am, I say it all the time and I'm, I just want to reiterate it, but we are worthy of healing. Like yes. we are worthy of that. So I hope that we can kind of flip the paradigm and, and not look at this as something that you do because you're going crazy. Like right. you are worthy of a space to process your feelings, your emotions, a neutral space where somebody yeah. is not judging you. Like we are worthy of that. So Dr. C, thank you so much for being here. Um, I have truly enjoyed this conversation. I think that we have helped heal the world just a little bit with just this <laughs> hour. So um, thank you again for being here. Thanks for having me. All right. And we will see you all next time here on the First Mind Podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.